0: to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. This is episode 49. And if you want to learn more about how to teach your child at home, then you've come to the right place. This conversation centers around how a veteran educator, Gina Smith, encouraged social emotional learning in her classroom. So, who am I? I am a parent health advocate, a mom to twin girls, and this podcast is not only for parents who homeschool their children, but it is also for parents who want to supplement their child's education. Our goal is to provide you with encouragement, insight about African history, and support as a parent and home educator. New episodes are uploaded biweekly, so please remember to subscribe and share. If you want to keep this podcast going, please consider supporting it by donating via our Patreon page at a low monthly cost. Visit Patreon.com slash Cleverly Changing. Today's African proverb is, hot temper will never cook yams. And that's a Nigerian proverb.
1: It's now time for the word of the episode. Dun-dun-dun.
2: Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Haiti. Vraiment? Vraiment? It means really in Creole.
0: that it's 2021. We know that we've had to experience many challenges, like learning how to work while homeschooling and just trying to balance it all. Unfortunately, another thing that we've had to deal with this year is hacking threats, which are at an all time high. That's why I wanted to recommend protecting your home and your family from hackers with Trend Micro's home network security device. This device easily plugs into your home's router so it can scan for cyber threats. It prevents intrusions, blocks hacking attempts, and protects your family's privacy from unwanted cyber intruders. It also comes with an easy to use app so you can monitor all of the network activity in your home. The app includes parental control features so you can block inappropriate sites, limit your kids' Wi Fi time, and protect their online activity. Last year, Mike had started taking virtual classes. For the first time, and I know since they're spending an increased amount of time on the app, I want them to be safe. This device is a necessity in every home. To pick up yours, go to trendmicro.com and use the code cleverly20, all caps, to take $20 off your home network security device purchase. You can also try their free home network security app now available at the app store. Thanks Trend Micro for sponsoring this episode.
1: very thrilled that you have joined us for another show. Today we have a wonderful guest, but before we introduce you to our guest, let me tell you who I am. I am Elle Cole, I am a mom of twins, and I have been homeschooling my girls For seven years. We have started this podcast, Miriam and I, to really help support homeschoolers. We started this journey on our own, and we wanted to really give back to our community so that you will know that you too can educate your kids without any issues. So Miriam, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who
2: you are. I'm Miriam. I am the parent of four Little ones, I am a farmer, the creator, a writer, and lots of things in between. <laughs> and we've been home- awesome. How long has it been now? I don't know. Four years, maybe. A year. <laughs> she said it's been a year.
1: Four years.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Awesome. So I would love for our guest today, Gina Smith, can you introduce yourself to our listeners, please?
3: Sure. Thank you for having me. My name is Regina Smith, but I do go by Gina. A lot of people just short my name, G. Smith-Writes. And um, I've been in education for about 16 years um, as an ELA teacher. And then now I work as an RTI specialist and I'm a new author. Um, So I'm glad to be here.
1: Congratulations, we are always excited to have just everybody, especially educators and also authors because we know it takes tons of dedication and hard work to finally you know you have the thought and then you finally put your product out there and so we definitely want our audience to be able to learn more about your book and about you so without further ado let's just jump into the conversation you said that you have been teaching for 16 years that you were a teacher in education for 16 Mm -hmm. years and that seems like a very long time there was can you tell us about that journey and your experience what are some things that you noticed about it and um how you how you feel about education in general
3: okay so education in general i love it i I love i love what it stands for you know giving people knowledge um i've had a gamut of experience (laughs) um 16 years seems like 30 oh my goodness just I worked at majority Title One schools, urban schools, um, mostly middle school and high school. Um, when I got out of college, I did a I did a couple weeks in a kindergarten class, and I realized quickly it wasn't for me. <laughs> And um, but since, you know, fast forward after 13 years of being in the classroom working as a specialist, I have to work with elementary students. And now I really like it. So um, I I just experienced just the whole the gamut ups and downs um, where you see um, the good and the bad. Honestly, you see the good and the bad. You see, you know, where teachers are pouring their heart out. They're trying to get the lessons and the skills. They're trying to get the things that need to be done, taught. But then you see um, the unconscious bias. You see the... um, just the rigmarole of politics in education. And so sometimes the greatness of the thought, the idea, the purpose of education gets muddled in everything else that's thrown into the mix. And so um, I've always told, I've always said to my students, reading will really expand your mind about what the world is and what it isn't and then you can make your perspective and I've always um, been that person to push them to read different things and so that's been my tool throughout the whole my whole career is to push literacy and so yeah I've just I've seen it all if you know I'm trying to think of something specific but as a general glaze that's what I can say. So
1: I would love for you to kind of share, you know, just thinking back over your years, what can, is there one experience that you would say just was one of your best experiences, something that just really makes you feel good that you witnessed it or that you were a part of it?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say um, immediately what comes to mind um is my time when I taught in Jacksonville, Florida. I taught there for three years. Um, I worked at a private school for one year, and then I went to public school, my um, second year of teaching. And immediately, when um, when I when I got to when I re- went to the interview, they wanted to hire me. And the principal said to me, he said, Miss Smith, he's like you're young, you know, you're, you're bubbly, whatever. He said, but you know, I just need you to know that on this street, there's a murder a month, and this is the Myrtle Capital of this city. And so I just want you to know what you're getting into when you come here to work. And I said, i come, I'm coming here to teach, you know, but I was young. It's so like, okay, you know, I've worked with inner city kids. I've, I've done volunteerism. I've completed all those types of things. Anyway, I get into the classroom and after probably three to four weeks of being in there, I just noticed that the, there was a, there was a disconnect with a lot of the young women in there. Either some of them were thought of as the good girls and others, they were the lost. And there it was stark. It, you know, Really, I didn't see any in between there. And so um, I ended up starting a mentoring group because it's like, well, who, what are they thinking? Like, how are you just automatically the good girl? And how come you're automatically deemed bad? And every, you know, things are coming down every time there's something going on and you fall right into that role. And then it seems like the ones who were good, you know, they're kind of like, oh well whatever and you know they can kind of it it just it was very just stark and everyone played their role very very much to the point there and I had not seen that and I thought I'd seen a lot before them so I started this mentoring group and I took about a group of 25 girls and I started to meet with them after school once a week to talk with them about okay so what? what do you what do you come to school for what's your experience like and it was one of the best times of my life. It, it formulated, it, it ended up growing into something that I had not anticipated. Um, we ended up having like almost like cotillion like balls at the end of the year mm-hmm. where they dressed up and we had etiquette and we um, took them to volunteer at homeless shelters. We did so many great things and they these ladies were my students also. So they would see me in class and Um, doing their work and you know trying to gain strides with reading and then some weekends once per month they would go and do things in the community and once a week we would have what I would call girl chat you know and we talk about you know emotions and I learned so many things about them. Um, They had seen people pull guns and and shoot and yet they still they came to school the next day or many of them, they lived in, in homes where parents were professionals and they just lived in a neighborhood because it was um, they were the, the house was inherited from someone else. So you had this this, you know, this melting pot of people who because of the reputation of the community, it was just like, well, it's only this here. But you had a variety of different families. And I found in that school support from families who people said, oh, the parents don't come. Yes, they do. They showed up for their kids. They purchased T-shirts for them to wear for the club that they were in. They came and and supported fundraisers. If I sent a letter home, but also there was rapport, there was connection, there was building. So that's something I can say that I'm really proud of um, throughout my career.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So you used a term that I want us to kind of define for people who don't know, and that's a title one school and yes. for um, homeschoolers, not all homeschoolers are familiar with what that means. So yeah. if you could really just define that for our listeners, that would be awesome.
3: So title one are schools that receive additional funding uh, for different things to be done on their campus. And um, let me not misspeak up, is it? generally, is it by district or by school? I think it's by school, but I, I have to double check. But generally, you receive um, additional funding because of the needs of the school. That's in, you know, very basic general terms. And so um, on the, the on the street or in layman's terms, you know, that those are the schools that are, you know, not well performing. They're the ones who have the behavior problems. Generally, people would say that they can't keep staff, um, you know, high turnover. So these are, you know, it, it is generally when you're talking about a Title I school, especially now, they can have all of the technology because of the extra funding. They can have all of the extra staff. But what i found in um, my time working, you can have all of that, but if you don't have intentional staff placements, all of that, it's a wash. So yes, title one.
1: Yes. So my understanding is that title one schools are also um, low income communities. Mm -hmm. So the community itself and the parents that send their children there often are below the poverty level. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it means that, so typically when that is, um, the label is placed on the school, all of the things that you just mentioned. People think that the the parents aren't interested. Um, People think that it's going to definitely be a one-parent home. Mm -hmm. Um, with a lot of single parents and people just automatically assume negative things and it sounds like you went into those type of schools and you knew that was the case but instead of just taking those labels you decided to kind of shift the perspective and say hey if I'm nurturing if I'm available all Mm -hmm. the things that really help um, children succeed, you begin to give that to the students so that they could succeed. Cause I know for homeschoolers, they want, um, nurturing all the things that you were giving, like you were giving to the students, just like you were their parents. So can you kind of speak to, um, how you felt comfortable giving back? Because I think, you know, on one hand, you want to keep it professional Um, because that's what the school system says but when you're working in that type of environment sometimes professional is a little different so can you kind of speak to that a little bit
3: yes and um, certainly you want to keep it professional and I did that however when we're and we have this conversation a lot with as educators especially in a public setting there is there there is a there's business, but then there's also the heart and intentionality of really making change with students. And um, I learned this pretty early on, just um, even even watching just how my mother moved in in cert, certain social um arenas um when I was a child you know other children were not hers her taking them up under her wings and really just you know giving them an extra ear or you know mentoring them and so when I went to when I was in college um volunteerism working with the youth was a big part of my college education um I went to florida a and i A&M I'm a rattler and so um we did I just different groups that I participated in it really was about getting in there and making change with our youth and specifically black youth um and not that I have not mentored someone who doesn't look like me I certainly have but that's always been my thing to go in and when I went to the school I just saw them as human. I didn't see them as a person who inherently would not follow the rules, who inherently would not listen to me. Um, I knew that they would make mistakes. I'm human. I make mistakes. And I always told the students, no matter how upset you're going to make me, and I told them, you will make me upset, just like I'm going to make you upset. When you come back in the next day, we got to keep it rocking and rolling. We got to talk about it, but we have to keep, they're human. And so sometimes I see we don't all have that mindset in education. Certain people are gonna do this, certain people are gonna do that. And so it it was my mission always to say, everyone is capable of greatness, but sometimes they make mistakes and, but you're still human. So that, that, that helped me to go in there and say, okay, you know, and and also I had a team of people who had that same thought, so I couldn't do it all by myself. I always recruited other teachers who were interested in in um, helping to grow this group, um, and so yeah, um, I think it's I think it's been just things that I've seen modeled for me, and then it it flourished in college, and then
2: continued when I started my professional career.
3: Awesome.
2: Said earlier was that you noticed that there was a clear line a distinction I should say being drawn between the good kids and the bad kids yeah. were they um, kind of falling into those categories because they were reacting to the way that they were treated or was it more um, something else just curious as to you know mm-hmm was being drawn I don't know how teachers can be
3: yeah and yes and that's why I would say both because you know um or if you don't know you know with with teachers even we talk right so if it's a middle school for instance if they've been there since sixth grade and they've been tearing it up since sixth grade and they get to eighth grade and they're like oh well you got Johnny this year Johnny made it to eighth grade you know, Johnny, Johnny, this Johnny cuts paper, Johnny will walk out, and you already know Johnny before Johnny walks into the room, and you may have had, had a conversation with Johnny before then, and so Johnny, <laughs> he's expected to be the same, and, but when they walk in, I can't just, I mean, I may know the information, but Johnny is on day one in my room, and so I've even had conversations with students who you know, it, after a while, you know, maybe some of the behaviors that they are known for, they may display it in other people's classroom, but not in mine. I'm like, well, you know, well, what's the difference in here versus there? In there, and you know, and I'm like, you know, they really don't know what it is. But I think kids are a lot more intuitive than, and maybe they can't verbalize it. So I think it's the expectation because they know there's a paper trail or a verbal trail, and so when you're some, sometimes not all of them but sometimes when you're not mature enough to say well this is what i'm going to do and this is what I, you know it's something different or they haven't been taught because we'll teach a kid how to read we'll teach them how to add but will we teach them how to behave in public in the public setting not a lot not a lot it, it's too tiring to teach a kid how to behave i think that we they come and it's like a microwavable meal They should know how to behave is our expectation, but they don't. Clearly, clearly they're still learning.
1: I know I I have attended some, when I was younger, I attended a school that would be considered a title one school. And I remember going into one of my classes, the teacher did not look like me, but I remember her saying, and this was probably the first time it had ever been said, she was like, everybody has an A. She was like, I'm giving you all 100%. Now you can keep this A throughout the year, or you know it can be deducted. Some things can be deducted, but it's up to you. But all of you are starting in the same place. And I remember that um, even some of the kids who would have um, been considered trouble, they, they worked in her class yeah. because she seemed to care and yeah. i think that is what makes a difference you talk about you know they may not yeah. act that way in your class because sometimes kids just need somebody to yeah. um to recognize them to see them not look past them to yeah. actually connect with them to care and i think that can make a world of difference and that's yeah. why having a teacher that, that is also nurturing is important in those types mm-hmm. of environments. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, in the school system, it can be so cold. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, as the um, years progress it's mm-hmm. becoming more and more cold just for um, safety's sake. Yeah. But for some kids, they do need that. They mm-hmm. do need somebody to you know, pay extra close attention to them and let them know, hey, and and that's not saying that they won't test you because they're kids and and kids (laughs) test the waters. They're going to try to test you. And so they will test you, but you still, you know, you still have to make that connection. And if you really make a hard connection, you'll make a difference. Can you um, just, I feel like your story and, and what you've already shared about, you know, taking the young girls and really mentoring them and, and showing them about being dressed up. What were some of the things that those young girls said? Cause I, I would imagine that that was a completely new, like an experience they would have only seen on TV. Um, They,
3: they were excited. Um, A lot of them said, thank you. A lot of them, um, just experience because I remember uh, everyone had to wear black that way we can buy a whole slew of different dresses at a, at a, at a discount rate and not have to worry about everyone having the same dress and it costs a lot. So we will often take them to Ross, right? We get on the school bus and we take them to Ross and have so we can have like a $20 budget. <laughs> Cause you know, we had to raise money. And if you, I remember we grew to like 50 girls one year. And so, you know, imagine how much money that costs 20 times 50 girls. And so um, like, okay, so we have to get a black dress? Okay, so how long should it be? And what's a, pro- you know, and they were just, they were just so excited. And like, thank you. So wh- what are we going to eat? How many people can we have? And some of them, you know, they hadn't been to like a formal event at like a hotel. And they were just really in awe. I can't remember. They, you know, a lot of them just said, thank you. Um, because that was, you know, that was the, There, that was their appropriate thing to do or they give you a hug or they bring their parents and um uh, one of the young ladies who i met my very first year teaching at that well it's my second year teaching but first year at that school i'm still in contact with her and you know she just says you know i appreciate you for just always being there um and um i think that means more to me than anything um Because I just wanted them to know that they were supported and not only supported, but held to a standard because we can nurture them a lot. And sometimes what I've seen in education is also nurture, nurturing, but then it goes into coddling and not holding a standard. And so we have to balance that. And so this particular young lady, you know, she was my mentee and, you know, and, you know, she got into a fight. I'm like, you're you know you're in trouble like that's not a good thing and so you need to you know just thinking well I'm in the mentoring program I'm doing this I'm doing that no you gotta you gotta you gotta take your consequence just like anyone else and you know even to this day you know I still hold her to a certain thing like well you know you have to do such and such and such you know if you want to have this or do that and so when I do come in contact with a lot of those ladies from that first round of girls it's just simply thank you and um that's enough that's enough yes
1: so I have a question because you just brought up discipline which Mm -hmm. I think goes right along with the academics. yes so I want to know because right now during this is a unique time we're still in the pandemic parents are still having to really hold their weight and and provide extra attention to their Mm -hmm. kids while their teacher, like some of them may be remote schooling. Some of them may be going to a school, Mm -hmm. but really the discipline that both the teacher and the parents have to provide is a little bit different. Can you give parents and teachers who, you know, maybe dealing with a child who is, labeled difficult, who seems difficult, just some some advice on ways to connect. Because I think, you know, I think all kids will test you, whether they're labeled or not. That's just natural. Yes,
3: they will. Um,
1: But I do think there are some positive ways to discipline and some that could actually be harmful. So can you kind of share some positive ways that parents and teachers Mm -hmm. can really um, help discipline their students when they need it?
3: Yes, well, the first thing is to build a rapport. And whether the student is coming in remotely or if they're sitting in front of you, you need to have a way where they know every day there's an expectation of some type of communication that is not strictly academic. So for instance, um, one of the things that I uh, have seen across districts is if they're remote or even sometimes if they're in class, they have a check-in question every day. It could be, how are you doing? Where are you today? And the students are expected to respond. And it's, you know, and there are certain um, uh, like placeholders or, not alarm- or maybe alarms, I don't know what you would call it, where if a student answers a certain way, it just depends on how tech-, tech savvy the teacher is, you know, they're gonna reach back out almost immediately when they read it to say, hey, well, what's going on today? And so, um, or if they didn't answer you know whether the teacher is going the teacher or the counselor is going to reach back out to them that can be done in the classroom with pen and paper or you know digitally if kids have iPads in the classroom where the teachers are receiving this information they know the teachers are checking it it's it's small things like that just to know that someone is checking in on you so for instance if you are having Discipline, a lot of the discipline issues with remote learning, the biggest one I hear about is the kid not showing up. Well, if the student's not showing up, okay, I guess that becomes a discipline issue. Well, then so you know, teachers like, Well, I can't teach them if they're not there. Well, what else have you done? I, I suggested in some workshops that I did this summer, okay. Well, you called, you know, we have trans a transient population and numbers change. Well. uh, do you know where the parent works? I mean, I, you know, when you talk to students, you find out that the parent works at the hospital, whatever. Okay. I know the parent's name. It's on there that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of time. I'm going to call, see if they're at work. Can, you know, can I get them to call me back? Can I send a postcard? Can I go and knock on a door? And it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. You don't want to go and do knocking on doors by yourself. You definitely don't, especially now with COVID, even before COVID, you know, you got to make sure you're safe, but There are people in place in your district, which a lot of teachers may not be aware of, who can do just that for you and do it safely. So we have to think outside of the box and connect with that student. Um, Clearly stating expectations. If we just say to a student, you know, you never follow, you, you, you know, you're just you, um, you don't follow directions. Well, what are the directions? What should the directions look like? If you say you need to pay attention in class, well, what does that look like? If I'm sitting in class. OK, that means you have a pencil in your hand. You're looking at the board or you're looking at me. And then at some point there may be some notes, but whatever the expectation is in your class, you have to be very clear. And sometimes, you know, it's very simple, but sometimes this educator just like, well, the kid knows what pay attention means. Well, tell them again, let review it because maybe and maybe they don't know. pencil should be in your hand or at the end of the class you're going to turn in the answer to this question so you need to have this paper that i handed in that i handed to the other students because you and you were late so now i need to give this to you explicitly say what the expectation is give them an expectation but if your expectation unconsciously is that this student will not follow my directions your actions will be as such your actions will be why aren't you on task? Why aren't you taking notes instead of instructing them to follow the directions and give them the clear direction?
1: Absolutely. What you said, I actually wrote a, a, an article for Healthline um, for, about remote learning. And one of the things that I remember um, just sharing was that Some kids need to see that in writing, what those expectations are. They need a paper that they can check off as they're sitting there. Because sometimes as adults, we rattle off a long list of things and our kids don't know what to do first and they get befuddled, you know, and you're like, why can't you just do X, Y, Z, like A through Z all in one. (laughs) And they're like, no, let's just start with A. Like their brain is still processing A. So so give them things (laughs) one at a time and be crystal clear. And if you can write it down, write it down, you know, just having that checklist, like this is, this is what's expected of you and having a little checklist. And I know that even me being a homeschool mom and my kids are in middle school, it's helpful for them. Actually, I write a to-do list myself. So (laughs) it's not something that we grow out of. We still need a checklist even as adults to stay on task because we have all these things distracting us and if we get distracted
2: as adults how much more do our children get distracted majorly <laughs> now, you're thinking not expectations i think we also need to have the expectation within ourselves as adults that they're children and yes still developing and they're still learning so just because they didn't do a specific thing doesn't mean that they'll never get it it doesn't mean that yeah. you won't have to get it tomorrow either <laughs> Yeah, the process of becoming an adult an older individual and
3: mm-hmm.
2: like you said as adults <laughs> we struggle sometimes so we should already have it Within our minds, that yes. it's going to be a little bit of you know give and take here. So some days will be better than others, and you know, paying attention doesn't necessarily have to be you know a, a pencil in the hand. Perhaps they like to doodle, and when they're doodling, then you know they're listening. Or mm-hmm. Perhaps they need to tap a finger or something. And when you see them doing that, you know they're listening. For some of them, yes, they're taking notes because that helps them. And then others, it could be they chewing on their tongue or they they sh- or something, you know. And a lot of times because we get so hung up on what we think is the norm, you know, everybody's not the norm. No. So I think being able to nurture individuals and to give an individual what they need to thrive is very important and a very special skill because some of us (laughs) struggle in the group setting
3: yes yeah we have to be flexible certainly i had to learn that really quickly when i my first year teaching like every you know everyone you can't be everyone can't straight head straight this, you know, you know, I don't know if you've seen that meme where the kid is le- is, is sitting on the floor, stretched out, writing on the floor, and you know, and I allow, you know, I allow stuff like that. I made a lot of mistakes teaching. I, I just want to say that a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of days where I'm just like, I need to go back and, and you know, and, and and reteach that or 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 say something to this student. But I think. When I had to go back and admit my mistakes to the students, it humanized me. They knew, like, okay, well, dang, I've another having teacher say, well, you know what, I probably shouldn't have chastised you yesterday like that. I could have done it a different way. And um, yeah, we have to be fle- just like I need them. I, I need to be flexible for them. I need them to be flexible with me because I'm human too. Um, and I, I want that to come become come back to education, um, the humanity. We all have skin, blood, bones, and we're all valuable. And we need to make sure that when we're teaching, we are consciously, we're conscious about it. We're intentional about thinking that and um, to move students forward.
1: You just brought up how important social emotional learning is in the school setting. Mm -hmm. And I know that, emotional learning is a direct passion of yours can you kind of talk about why you know you just mentioned that emotional learning is important you didn't necessarily use those words but that's exactly what you're talking about can you kind of talk to us about that
3: well well you know social emotional learning it if okay so you know a few years ago we had the term what was it restorative justice was it and that was about discipline and you know and and bringing together the offender and the and the defender to so that you know we know what the harm was and working out something but yet the offender still having consequences if we do things like that if we only talk about discipline and not emotions then we're missing a big part of the disciplinary lesson or the the growth because it we know in school first grade second grade we know that there's there are learning tiers and they're going to learn certain things at certain levels but before the spark of social emotional learning we left that part out you know how do students deal with certain things why might a student do this why might they do that um are they their maturity level i think in the um i think from what i've seen at the pre-k level now that students or now that school systems are incorporating pre-k we see it more often than not because uh, you know i'll hear principal say quickly you know well that kid just turned three you know the other kids have been three for six months but and so the, the you know the maturity and they recognize different things that students are going to do but when we get into kindergarten and beyond that there was never really a big conversation about that um, and why, and then also culture, you know, I learned very basic things about culture um, and education um, before going into the classroom, you know, things like, which I don't know if they're outdated, but, you know, looking if you're, you know, Asian American or from Asia, not looking direct in the eyes or um, things about handshakes. I mean, it's very, very, very surface. And so as I, Continue to work and working in mostly um, Hispanic and Black populations. You know, me being Black, I'm just like, well, I, you know, I know what to do. I don't know. I don't have every Black experience. I had to learn some things. I'm, I, I have my Black experience, and so we can't put everybody into these boxes. And so, um, if you don't address the emotional learning the maturity of the student, how they evolved, how they think, why they do what they do, then you are missing a teachable moment. You're missing a piece that will help them to be successful because at the end of the day, that's what education is for, is for them to grow mentally and to stimulate that growth. But emotions are a part of that. You learn with emotions too. It's not all robotic. So um, I'm a big big advocate for that. I think I've been kind of in this work longer than what I what I anticipate or I think I have because now my position, um, it's about leading um, professional development with social-emotional learning interventions for students outside of the special education population. And so um, really helping teachers to have their social-emotional learning journey and then applying that with students. Um, one book, for as far as when we talk about uh, race, and I hope I'm not going all over the place that I really like in my district um uses um courageous conversations by Glenn Singleton because we do see such disparity with um what is it called um suspension rates with black and brown students and so you know they're suspended five times more than their counterparts and so that has to do with um lack of understanding things culturally and also just putting um Uh, an expectation for groups and so and the best way to do it I guess is to discipline and not use social emotional learning but as social emotional learning is becoming more popular we have to deal with also um the mind the conscious and the unconscious and I think um uh Oh goodness. Courageous conversations does a great job of that for adults if we um, really take that task um seriously.
2: I have a question. Do you have any tips for parents um uh, on how they can promote and um nurture their child's emotional learning? Yes, again,
3: it's kind of it's kind of like Uh, what I would say to the teachers is checking in every day what did you do in school today who are your teachers what did you learn today can you show me something and I know as parents you get so busy just like teachers and but taking that five minutes to know the patterns of what's happening at school that's going to help that's going to place an expectation where they just can't say it went fine it was okay I passed my test and so, knowing the patterns, they have Miss Jones, second period, Mr. Flannoy, third period. Um, today, we did such and such. And then you'll be able to decipher, like, you know what, something seems a little off. You said nothing much went on in PE. Is that true? You know, did something happen? Um, also, I, I, I really like um, this, the summary. I used to do peak, uh, what was it called? Sorry, I've been on the classroom for three years. So sometimes I have to remember the names. I used to do Hills and Valley or peak, peak and Pit with my students um, during the weekend. Some weeks I would make it where they could do anything, but then other weeks it would be, it had to be in school. What was the peak of the school week in class and what was the pit? Cause I, you know, and that'll, that'll, that'll let you know I'm not. I didn't like when such and such did this in your class. And then you said, and that that was just the pit of my week. I didn't like that. And you, you know, and I and I try to have a, a respectful dialogue with it and sometimes that peak and pit, it would have me to, you know, did you talk to your parent about it? That, that was a lot of my, um, you know, talk to your parent about it. You know, maybe there's something else going on there. So t- just every day, it doesn't have to be any big elaborate thing. What happened in school today?
1: So a little bit earlier, we talked about those title one schools, and we talked about how you help the girls, but I know that you also have a passion for young boys and their emotional learning. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of tell us how that, how you started to kind of work with that population and why you're so passionate about it?
3: Okay. Well, I, I did grow up, I'm a girl and I grew up with all boys. So I, you know, when I write and I've written several things to be published, um, but I noticed that I write, I've written a lot about, uh, boys probably because I grew up with boys and then I do have four nephews. And so I'm constantly around little boys. And so, and then also in school, uh, teaching, um, in the public school setting, with when I uh, black black males, young black males, I don't know how to put it into words. Um, there's either coddle the coddling, or there's fear, and I don't understand that sharp contrast. There's either coddling, or there's fear. Okay. Um, and then you'll have the brain, you'll have the brainiacs, you'll have the, you'll ha- you will have middle of the road. But what I noticed is that if, if they were passionate about something, that passion wasn't seen as passion, it was seen as anger. You know, and anger has a, a negative connotation, but someone else who didn't look like them, if they had a passion and they spoke passionately about something, you know, it's just like, oh, they're, you know, they're blowing off steam. Um, And when we look at the data, I, 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 I see that there is a disconnect. And so while I did not take fully on the um, role of mentoring uh, Black boys because I'm a woman and I know I can do certain things. I did partner with other teachers who started mentoring groups for um, for the boys. But in my class, you know, they were treated as young men. And a lot of times I found myself calling them, sir, because I wanted to know I respect you. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, you know, if I'm talking to you, I'm like, well, what did you say, sir? And then you said why are you calling me sir? I'm like well you know I'm you know I'm respecting you, you you're a young man and um, it was just little things I, I would say to them like you know you're you're a young man and people see you as a young man if you have an issue, make sure you express it and I in my conversations with students who were in my class, a lot of them did feel um, unheard. Um, some of them didn't like my tactics they didn't like that you know I would, insist that they speak. if you're getting in trouble in my class before I go and write anything put anything to pen, pencil and paper well what's the problem? What, what what's the problem? I don't know, I don't know I'm mad. you shouldn't have yelled at me or you shouldn't have called me out. okay well there's a reason why you didn't want me to call you out. Why? Did you do something or did you not? Did I make a mistake or did you make a mistake? Did we both make mistakes? And I forced the conversation, and when I couldn't force it, I just let it go and say, "Okay, well, until you can talk, well, you know, we're gonna, you know, sometimes they don't want to talk, and they just like, well, just send me to the office anyway." And I say, "Well, you know what? I gotta have some patience today. We just gonna go back in class, and then when maybe tomorrow you want to talk." Oh, 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 I really didn't do anything. So it really was about conversations, and. um, Hold, again, holding them accountable. And I wanted them to know on that campus in my room, your voice matters. And whether you did something right or wrong, I want to hear it and I want you to notice it. And so the next time you can react differently, even when you did something great, because sometimes when you do something, you're just like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Well, it kind of is you kind of, you kind of with person cracked the code and no one else did. And it's just like, it's not that big of a deal. So congratulations to you. That's a great thing. Um, and so it's just, it's about paying attention. Um, I think when it comes to emotions and being human, a lot of times they are pushed to the side. It's just there, you know, well, nope. you, you know, you could have a high reading level and, you know, have all these things, but you're labeled Mm -hmm. bad because you haven't followed directions for a year or two. And what I find is, you know, in elementary school, a lot of times you have these high performing, and I don't have the statistics right now, but you have these, some of these high performing um, black boys, and then they get into middle school or high school. And all of a sudden, you know, th- their reading levels or you don't have any data for tests and stuff. And so that's the missing school or missing tests or different things are happening. And so we have to be intentional with keeping them engaged in the educational process and not dismissing them. And so I did that in my classroom to make sure. And I, I actually one year, <laughs> so funny, I had, um, I had like a little news group and there were like three girls and like three boys and, you know, they were the class clowns. They were the, oh gosh, they were the class clowns. And I was like, you know, I want to do like a video news, something different than the mentor group. And do you know that it was actually that was one of the proudest moments of my career, too, because some of them had never passed the state test. And I, I what I did was like, OK, guys, so if you stay staying after school, you know, OK, we're going to have snacks and you're going to you're going to get all the news, all anything that needs to be reported. And oh my gosh, they were big goofballs because they were goofballs in class. They're all, something was funny. They they had a hard, a hard time focusing. But once we got into a routine with them staying after school, like once or twice a week and I had another teacher help me and they would come in, they're like, okay, we got all the announcements from the teachers. We're ready. Okay, we're gonna, you know. And then it became like this leadership, this weird leadership thing because they're like, well, we're the ones who get in trouble because we're goofy, but we have to be on the news. So we can't lose that, so we gotta kind of rein it in. So it was just really, I don't know, it was really funny. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a part of culture too is responsibility. Um, I think that having a role of responsibility as a male and probably all males, but I'm speaking specifically to as uh, black males in the this, in this school setting, it helps them. And not just something where you're just like, oh, that, you know, just something like it's just, it seems like it's surfaced, but where you have a real responsibility and you nurture that responsibility, it helps them hold on to a little bit more. That's why you see the kids who are in football and, and sports and stuff, you know, they try a little bit harder because they have something holding them there. But I don't think that has to be the only thing. We have, they have many talents beyond football, basketball, they can do things um, tech wise, STEM, and we have to get, we have to keep them engaged some type of way.
2: Well, I just, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think. Because you've been, I can tell that the children have, you know, been truly impacted by you being part of their educational experience. Even though you haven't touched my children, I just, <laughs> Thank because you just, you seem to really care and to put a lot of effort and energy where plenty of others do not and will not. I think it's my life's work
3: to be honest. I think, and I'm not in the classroom now because I did get burnt out. That's another conversation for another day. But when you when you put a lot into it, I, I did get, I become very burnt out um, and then, oh, it, the fall was, it, it, it hurt because it's just like, it's what I love to do. I, I knew when I was four years old that I wanted to teach. Um, and I think I think there are many other teachers like me, but um, we're not the ones that are um, lauded and I don't need to be lauded. I don't need to be, you know, but um, there, there are so many gems in the public school system, but um, they're overlooked. Their works are overlooked. um, And the, the movies aren't made about those teams of teachers who go in and, and really just put 10 toes down and say, we're going to do this. And I've worked with some awesome educators. I, you know, I I hear a lot about teachers who, you know, aren't doing the work, but I can name 10 or 15. I I consider myself blessed to be able to do that because I've learned from the greats. I've learned from great teachers how to do and jump in and do the work because you can't do it by yourself. It's it's impossible.
1: Yes. For many of us, that our homeschooling parents, we went to school and we had some phenomenal teachers. So I think that parents definitely can look back into their experiences, some of them, and say, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, that teacher made a difference. It's usually, you know, somebody in their past that they can name who just really made them feel like an awesome student. And your passion totally comes through. We hear (laughs) it in your voice and the things that you have shared with us. Is definitely, you know, it's good to know that there are excellent teachers out there because some parents today are pulling their kids out because they're concerned, especially mothers of young black boys. Yes. Sometimes, you know, I think in the past when you would hear about families homeschooling, people homeschool for so many different mm-hmm. reasons. But one of the top reasons for black people is because of how their kid is being treated.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So what you have talked about today touches on all of those aspects. And I know that your passion, um, you know, you're still teaching, even though you're no longer in the classroom in the same respect, you're still teaching, you're still putting things out there that is touching the population. So I wanted to just bring up one of those things and it's Jackson learns a (laughs) lesson. So yeah. I love that you know you your passion comes through in this interview with you, but you've kind of bottled up that passion and put it in a book <laughs> for for many different families so that they can learn from you in other ways. Can you tell us about your book and and the joy that it it brings you to be able to share that with parents and other teachers?
3: Yes, um, thank you so much because it is one of the things that I'm very proud of. Um, I always told his the t- students they can do what they wanted to do, and I just let some of my things just kind of run dormant, um, and not, you know, and defer it. And I'm deferred it, and I'm so excited that I've done this book. Um, it started off uh, this is 2020, so it must have been. Yeah, probably 2019 when I said, you know what, I'm going to publish a children's book. I'd been writing a novel for a while, and um, I hadn't finished it. I kind of trying to figure out how where I wanted to go, and uh, I never dreamed of doing a children's book. I'm a middle school, secondary, high school teacher. Why am I going to write a children's book? <laughs> right? But um, it, it definitely was inspired by my nephew um, and j- my nephews, and just you know. The middle one is like eight years old and you know, he's learning how to navigate school and what's appropriate and what's not. And he's had some of those same issues. And because I am the resident educator in the family, they call they're calling me about what's this teacher doing and what is he doing in school. And you know, I know he can he does this at home, but I'm not sure of what they're what they're saying is 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 that really so? And so I wanted to write a lesson where and where in not only was the family supportive, but you had the teacher who recognized that um, students needed to process and um, talk about what they were feeling and give them tools to express that. And so that's where um, Jackson learns a lesson. It, it, was event- it was supposed to be a different time frame, a different lesson, but when COVID happened, I just totally changed it or said, so, you know what? I wanna address this because even with, with COVID, um, Everything was different, you know, kids were learning differently. And um, there, it, it, this is something that none of us have experienced. And, you know, in the book, the teacher asks, you know, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on? What do you do when you feel that way? Okay, and so these are questions that parents can ask their child. Like, how, how are you feeling? What you and give them tools? And the teacher gives tools and the dad gives tools. Um, And so I'm just really proud of it. It's something I never expected to really be just this giddy about. I've always liked writing, but children's books, I've always, I enjoy reading them. I enjoy buying them for people, but this is something different. And I I think um, it's going to be good because, you know, it can help people to have that back and forth um, rapport between teacher, student, parent, baby and
1: anyone else so
3: yeah
1: awesome awesome can you tell
3: everybody where they can get the book of course it's available on amazon so if you type in jackson learns a lesson um or my name regina smith there's another regina smith that comes up but if you type in jackson learns a lesson it comes up or my website g smith writes you can buy it off of there too
1: And we will definitely put all of those links in the show notes. So if you are listening, wherever you are listening, check out the show notes so that you can see direct links and really support Gina, support the book. Jackson learns a lesson because we have to really give our kids these tools. Some of us are learning the tools as an adult and it's much harder Once you reach adulthood. But if we give our young people these tools while they're little, Mm -hmm. life will just be so much easier for them and they will learn how to treat other people when they're upset or, you know, whatnot. And I think that just learning that is an important part of, of life in general. So I think it is an excellent tool that you have provided. And I just, I thank you for sharing with us about the book.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think, I think your podcast is a part of this great work. I've listened to several and I've heard your children and it's all a part of this to make everyone's seen as a human equal and having access to um, equitable opportunities education being one of them. And so I thank you for what you've done. That's why I was so excited I'm like, ooh, yay. I want to talk to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's definitely been a pleasure because what we know is that if something doesn't exist out here that we want for our children, that means that we have to really create it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, the book about emotional learning and really just so that kids can see themselves, that is so important and so huge. You didn't see something out there that really met that need. And you said, you know what? It's not out there. So I have this idea, but I'm gonna take it all the way through so I can really put this in families' hands. So Mm -hmm. I I love that you follow through because many of us, I mean, just great ideas. We're we're all full of great ideas, (laughs) so, so many of us, but we don't always follow through like we should and I just when I see people following through we have to support them we have to applaud them and we have to give them a space to share because to just have something and no one knows about it is not very helpful so we have to do our part to really share that work and let other people know that this exists so i'm i'm so happy that we had an opportunity to talk with you and learn from you you know you have so many years of experience and as parents who are doing this some of us for the very first time we can learn from that because i think that discipline piece that's something that we're learning anew Because sometimes the way that we experience things and the way, you know, our upbringing was isn't what we want to do going forward. And so when someone learns something that is working and it's good and it's positive and it's gentle, then we have to share that going forth so that we can all learn from each other. So I just wanted to say thank you. It's been a true pleasure and joy talking to you.
3: Likewise. Thank you, ladies. (laughs)
1: Thank you. So Miriam, did you have any more questions before we close out this episode?
3: Did you already tell us where we can find you online? Socially? Yes, uh-huh. gsmithwrites.com um, and, and on Instagram g.smithwrites.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember hearing the website. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much. I know. I know time is getting short. So we won't hold you too long, but I'm very, very appreciative of the work you have done and the work you are doing. And I just want to encourage you to, you know, stay strong, sister. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yes. And we look forward to seeing
3: some sequels
1: to that book, because I know you have many more books on the inside.
3: (laughs) I do. Thank you so much. I have I've. like thoroughly enjoyed this. I I can just, the energy from you ladies and you taught me some things too. And I, I just, I really appreciate it. I've, I've thoroughly, like seriously enjoyed this. <laughs>
1: well, well, we will definitely have to have you back because I know there's a whole nother piece that we didn't talk about. <laughs> and so we definitely look forward to following up with you, seeing how things are going because we really like I'm serious, like we talk, we hear that African proverb, it takes a village. And mm-hmm. so this is how we build our village by yeah. talking to each other and pouring into each other. And so I just thank you for your time and your expertise and sharing with us because we cannot um, hold those good things to ourselves and you know, just expect other people to know. We have, we have to be verbal, we have to share. Just like we tell our kids, use your words, use your words. We're always saying that to their to our kids. But sometimes as adults, we don't often share with other adults. That's in that same way. And so we have to, as adults, use our words to help edify and affirm each other. So I just, I was definitely blessed by the things that you shared today and just the different experiences that you have pouring into the community. The work of teachers is is an amazing work. And I want parents and teachers and educators who are listening to this podcast to know that we truly believe that we are all in this together. It's not homeschool mom against homeschool teacher. No, we are all in this together because you know, we may homeschool our kids, but we also, many of us also um, sign our kids up for classes and have other people teaching our kids as well. And so when we do that, we just make it a community of learning. And so one of our goals on this podcast is to build lifelong learners. And that's, and, you know, just having discussions like this is how we do that. So thank you. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for being a part of the Cleverly
3: Changing podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) All right.
0: Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.